0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming to this episode of Young or Dumb. We have a new guest today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: What is up? First, how are you doing? Thanks for uh, taking the time to hang out. Uh, My name is LaShawn Smith. I'm based in Seattle, Washington. I run a company called Kager Investments where I invest uh, building and buying companies that are powered by automation. We can talk about that uh, later, but what I'm most interested in is just kind of, as I like to say, Tasting's Life Buffet. So I have done many jobs, done different things, and I like to explore. This is my latest chapter.
0: Welcome to Younger dev My name's Marianna, and I'm interested in learning a variety of topics. But the thing is, I'm not much of a reader. Join me as I interview a mix of people in different careers or topics to see if I'm just new to adulting and haven't learned this stuff yet, or if I should have known this information already. Perfect. Well, thank you for that introduction. I love the the buffet thing. That's like, it's a good um, analysis of being able to try a bunch of jobs and things like that. So thank you. So let's start off with you telling us your job responsibilities.
1: Yeah, so... The number one thing that I do, and this may sound silly, is I have to stay curious. And if you think about what my job is at its core is I'm looking for opportunities to build or buy a business. As I said in the opening, I'm looking for businesses that use automation in some type of unique or novel way to give them an edge. And so I have to get educated. Sometimes I'm learning about a new industry that I don't know much about. And so I read a lot. You can see a lot of books behind me. I, um, I talk to people. I have random meetings. Uh, sometimes if I see a stranger and they're doing something that I think is interesting, you know, one time I was, um, I saw a guy sitting in some type of, I don't know what type of like Heavy machinery at this like construction site. And he looked like he was on break, and I just walked up to him. I was like, "So, what do you do?" Uh, and so, I like to meet strangers. I like to just interact with the world, and what it does is is exposes me to opportunities because once you learn about something new, then you can say, "Oh, what is it about this particular, you know, audience or customer segment that um, you know their day, whether it's professional or personal, isn't going great." And there's usually some pain point you can discover. And my job is to stay curious and try to identify both new opportunities, but also potential solutions and you know whether I can um, invest in a company that can help start s- um, solving those problems for people. So that's the like the number one thing. and then the the less interesting uh, kind of like boring part is I actually have to do what's called due diligence so I have to uh, understand what check size I'm going to write if you know how much risk is in a deal and so there's some kind of basic finance and administrative work and then finally, Um, I have to help the company operator that I hire succeed. So usually you know, the companies that I uh, invest in are very small, but they still have a leader. So I don't lead or, you know, manage those companies. And so I have to hire someone. Uh, Sometimes they're at the director level. uh, Sometimes they're a CEO, but regardless of title and kind of roles and responsibilities, um, I have to help them succeed. So I have to both find them, recruit them and, you know, make sure that they have the tools to be successful without me kind of getting all in the mix of their day-to-day because it's their business to run. So that's the, you know, those are the three big pieces, but the stay curious is where I find, you know, the most enjoyment.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of dangerous. Like you the- can,
1: you can be super random. I told you, I like to taste the buffet and that's the problem. You know, if you have shiny object syndrome, you can not focus and find yourself, you know, not actually getting work done. And so that's something that I have to consistently work on.
0: Yeah, no, it's good to be curious. I, I agree there, but just be safe.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah people cool. are crazy out there in the streets. You gotta yeah. be safe talking to strangers.
0: Yeah. Um cool. Well, thank you for saying your job responsibilities. Let's kind of dive into the companies that you're going and recruiting and looking for. So you said animation. So what what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so there's a there's a broad kind of base of types of companies and if you you know were to look at the list, you're like Lashawn. That's super random. Yes, on purpose, but it just matches to what I know. So my first rule of business is don't invest in businesses that I don't understand. And the easiest way for me to understand a business is to get out in the world and learn new things and intersect that with my existing experience and skill set. And so over the years, I've worked in um, various. Um, jobs where it's media and technology coming together, and parts of that work has been around 3D. And so, when I look at 3D, almost anything that has kind of a 3D element. When I say 3D, I'm talking like computer-generated graphics that use 3D. Um, but it can apply to uh, 3D animated films. It can apply to 3D video games. It can apply apply to enterprise and corporate simulations that are using. 3D for folks to make smarter decisions. Uh, I worked for for a while um, at Microsoft where um, there was a product we were doing called, uh, it was Mixed Reality, and it's kind of the convergence of AR and VR. And we were building this product where uh, it's kind of a precursor to the recently announced Apple Vision Pro. And you could use this device to take 3D objects and blend them in with your physical world. And so what I like to do is, find, uh, you know, kind of businesses that intersect with all of those lived experiences. So when I have to go do due diligence, I understand it. And if someone says, all right, we built some, you know, new neurosurgeon brain scanning device, uh, that's not my world. And so I'm not going to be great at evaluating that. And so that's that's the foundation. Back to your question, uh, the primary areas that i'm focused on right now are smarter ways to create media using automation and tools i'm very excited about generative ai not to replace creators but to give them superpowers so if you look at a you know like a big budget animated feature film you know they might spend 800 900 um sometimes uh a, you know dollars a million dollars per minute of the film like these are crazy numbers right and so You know, a 90 minute film could cost $90 million to produce, not even, you know, let alone, you know, market. Meanwhile, somebody could be making a YouTube video for free. And there's a huge disparity in that that budget range. And what I get really excited about is like, are there compelling emotive stories that people want to watch that can also be financially viable? that we can make for lower prices. And so animation is one of those spaces. Um, I have four companies in the business service space and what that is are businesses that are helping other businesses. So one is a visual identity firm that helps people with logo design and all their brand uh, and style guides. Um, Another that does websites, Uh, a new company that's doing AI, um, automation and support, so helping people figure out how they work AI into their business, and uh, a copywriting business that helps people, um, you know, figure out how to find their tone, and in some cases, actually do some of their uh, copywriting for them. So it's a wide gamut of businesses, but none of them are really um, kind of cutting edge, if you will. Um, those, you know, I find you know someone has a really innovative type of business they're probably better suited to, you know, have a startup where they're raising capital and can have a venture capital firm behind them because they're going to need a lot of capital and a lot of talent to really kind of navigate the unknowns of a new technology. So most of the businesses that, that I own are I'll say pretty uh, pretty pedestrian and so you know it's still hard work and but what we try not to add the additional risk of doing something that no one's ever done before.
0: Mm-hmm. So the people that you're recruiting are they just the people that have the ideas and then you're helping them with that? Because you, you said how you have the, the other companies that help you do all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So every company has an operator. And the reason I use the operator is they're on the hook to operate the business day to day. What uh, you know, these folks come from different places. The most common places are kind of three buckets. Bucket number one, there's someone who is a freelancer or a contractor who has been doing a certain skill for, uh, you know, some period of time. So they have the experience. So for instance, with my uh, visual identity firm, uh, I have a a great gentleman who he's, he's, you know, he has all the pieces to go and drive creative direction and like really, you know, make these beautiful logos, but he doesn't have the business support structure. And so what I show up and do is to say, all right, you need payroll. You need, Uh, You know, some bookkeeping, you need invoicing, you need to go figure out how you're going to market, how you're going to go get customers. And so there's all these kind of halo, um, you know, pieces to the puzzle that can turn someone from, you know, contractor slash freelancer into a business owner. And so I show up and provide uh, them with some additional capital. Uh, Sometimes they're working a job and they are I'm um, kind of doing this on the side, so you know I really want folks who are focused, and so I give them enough capital so they can quit their job and stay focused and then I give them the resources for these other pieces. So now they're actually running a company, and they're not just kind of you know uh, running around trying to check it you know chase every check as a freelancer. so that's the the smaller version for for more of the service businesses. and then for the software or the uh you know kind of more traditional businesses, those are companies that are already in place. And you know, typically the current owner is looking to exit, and then I show up and I replace that uh, that founder or that that CEO with someone who already has experience running that type of business, and I pay the previous owner. Cash to you know take ownership of that built uh, that business, and then I bring in the new operator that I've hired. And so there's a spectrum there. Some of them again are very tiny businesses with you know uh, two or three people, and then others have you know a dozen or more. No company that I run has over 20 people. So I'm all about you know you know kind of building a collection of very what I call very small businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you like how they're smaller businesses, or would you like to get up to bigger businesses?
1: No, I, I I love small businesses. Uh, I love, uh, I've actually gone as far as to label them as VSBs, uh, very small businesses, you know, kind of 20 and under on purpose. So I really like the idea of smaller businesses. The reason that today is a very, I think, powerful time for anyone to consider a smaller business is that we have these new technologies and tools. And I like to keep coming back to two words, audience and automation. If you can find a way to build your own audience through social or whatever the channels are, you are going to be able to market your products and you know much more affordably than in the past. And if you lean into automation and leverage tools, you know, not just you know, when I say AI. I'm not saying just like ChatGPT. I'm saying you know, tools like Zapier and and others that allow you to take steps in a process and automate it. So you never have to touch it. And it's like when I get an email from here you know, send this over here when that, you know, shows up, draft an email and then put it in my inbox for me to read later. And you can create all these little mini kind of workflows and processes that allow very small teams to get a lot more done than in the past. And so that's why I'm so, you know, bullish about small businesses. One, I enjoy the the, the speed at which they're able to move. And two, we're at a unique time where there's a whole new set of tools for them to be more successful than in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. Would they eventually have to leave your company if they're looking to grow? Or if they start off as a small business, will you keep them? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So if you talk to me you know, early in my career, I wanted to like, I want to build a massive company and we're going to change the world. And what I found is like two fallacies with my assertion. Number one, that you needed a big company to change the world. Um, small teams can do amazing things. Number two is that I wanted to hire somebody and never have them quit. Now, I really embrace the idea that I want to either give people the opportunity inside the companies that I own to reach their full potential or to encourage them to go to their next stage. And I have the concept of an alumni. And so when someone quits, it's not like, oh, they left. Like, no, they're just part of our alumni group. And you know, I won't say that it's everyone on the team. Sometimes we have to let people go for performance reasons, but um, for the most part, these are people that I stay in contact with and I root for them. And it's not just, can you give me, you know, a job recommendation? Like, no, like I do free coaching sessions. Like I'm really invested in their success. And so I I don't look at it as, um, oh, I can't win if we don't get big. I look at it as, you know, when you have and meet someone new, you should figure out how you how can you create value in their life. Part of that is sometimes giving them a job. Other times it's giving them coaching, mentoring, or sponsorship support.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like that answer. The alumni, that's like a really good way to like put it. That was really good. Yeah. Cool. So what, I know you talked about some of your previous work experience, which ones specifically, I know the animation came from like your animation job, but mm-hmm. what other like skills helped do you believe helped you just prepare for like the other aspects of the job?
1: What's been most successful for me? It's that decision making muscle. It's the ability to write in different styles or capabilities and then pairing that with those soft skills uh, to really help understand, you know, um, why we all show up to a specific job, you know, career or, you know, place of work.
0: Yeah. You like how you get to use all of those in your position right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the the beauty. So, you know, today, I didn't have a lot of meetings. And I've been writing documents, and I'm writing memos. And, you know, arguably, because the team is so small, we could just have a meeting. And one of the things when I worked at Amazon that I learned was this idea of a writing culture. And what that means is, if you and I get on a call, and we're kind of just, you know, we got an idea, we're trying to brainstorm, that's cool. However, if I have a point of view on something. It's actually doing you a disservice if I show up on the call and I haven't thought it through. Right. And so instead, you know, what a writing culture says is if let's say I'm going to call the meeting, I'm going to go off and write a narrative document. I'm not going to make it pretty. I'm not going to go do a Canva deck or a PowerPoint or anything like that. I'm going to write in single font size With no colors, just you know, black text on white background, and I'm just going to write in paragraphs. No bullets, no tables. I'm just going to write, and it's meant to be um, a style of document where you read like you're reading a novel or book. And so, uh, the purpose of this is when you force yourself to write in that style, you'll catch yourself for all the cheats that you would do if you were having a live meeting. And you know, one of the great things in that process, for example, is you want to move remove like adjectives and adverbs from that type of writing. So in creative writing or marketing, you might add them, but in business writing, you want to take them out. And so let's say, um, you, you know, we were having a conversation and it's like, all right, the sales are are like, they're they're going really well. Everything's great. Well, if you write that down, you might say, our sales increased 3.8% over last week. And it's gonna take you time to go get that number and write it all down, but it's gonna force you to have clarity of thought. And so I use those same tools even though we're a very small set of humans. And what it does is that clarity allows for better communication. And then as a result, we're able to kind of get to the, the meat of the discussion. And I'm not trying to stumble across my ideas. I can say, all right, everyone, let's read. We use a format that I've taken from previous jobs where whoever is leading the meeting they say hello, they drop a link to a document, everybody goes off camera, everybody raises their hand and they start reading the document. When the last person lowers their hand um, because they've completed the document, they come back on camera, we discuss. But now you don't need to say, well, let me tell you what's going on. You put that in the document and then the rest of the meeting is just for discussion. And so this just lets you know teams move way more quickly. And so I really love that part about my, my job because I get to get all this information from any of the companies that I invest in because I require all of them to show up to a meeting with me with a document already written.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. I don't I don't know if I would like that, but I see I can see the benefits in it.
1: A lot of people don't like it. Actually, I didn't like it at first. And I, I say it's kind of like there's two good reasons to have this. Number one, the the mental rigor and just the the operational rigor that it enforces, it will force a team to move more quickly. But the second piece, and this is why I'm so big on on teams and companies explaining what they stand for, is like, since that's so critical to our team, before you get through even a screening interview, you're going to know about our writing culture. So you're not going to show up with a job and say like, wow, I didn't expect this. We're going to put that know up front and center the same way you know i have um i don't have a beef with you know for instance ceos who are saying hey you have to come work in person we're not going to allow you to work you know from home um i do have a problem with companies that flip-flop they're like you can work from home now you can't work from home now you can't like no like 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 pick one Mm -hmm. and saying this is what we stand for being upfront with it and letting people opt out Before they're actually, you know, they've invested any real, you know, emotional energy. To me, that's the best thing to do. And so, I'm really a strong believer in this this writing culture because it makes people so uncomfortable, and it forces out, you know, it allows us to, you know, get out a lot of biases. So some sometimes there are people who are really great at kind of taking a beat and a moment to read something and then comment and they don't get overpowered with the fast talkers with this model. And so there's all sorts of reasons why it's good, but I think the more meaningful pieces, we try to be upfront with it and say, if that's not your style, all good. This probably isn't the place for you, but we're gonna let you know upfront.
0: Yeah, that's smart. So Kind of switching into a different gear. What are you, how do you recruit for your companies? And have you turned companies away for like reasons besides maybe them having more than 20 people at their company?
1: Well, the first thing I start with there are the numbers. And uh, the reason the numbers are important is if, you know, they're they're not even a real company. They're just like, we just have an idea. Um, I still might mentor them or coach them for free, but, you know, they're not investable. If they're too large, then they're outside of my investment, you know, thesis. So they might be investable but not for me. And so the first thing I do is just make sure all the math is in the right ballpark. And that's something that can be done fairly quickly usually in a couple of hours. And so that's not like multiple days. Then the second piece is, you know, are these, you know, I like to say are these my people? And what I don't like are, you know, people who are very arrogant or are like I know it all, I got it all figured out because at some point like you know, drama is going to show up to their business. And if they don't have the right mindset, they're going to struggle to to adapt. And so I try to understand, are, are these the type of people that I want to help succeed? Are these the type of folks that are going to help, you know, whatever their community is, are they going to go back and help the people um, who are in earlier parts of their journey? And so so that's kind of thing number two, that can also be done fairly quickly. And then it's really about, you know, do I believe in the the long-term you know, value that this business can create, and uh, sometimes I'll interview uh, some of the people on their team. Uh, and you know, in an acquisition, there's something called a key man clause. Uh, I don't know why it's gendered, but that's the name. And so, the key man is the you know the list of people that um, have to stay working at this company when you buy it; otherwise, the the price of the company isn't the same. And it's usually, you know, people who have roles that are significant enough that if they were to quit, the the value of the company would be different. And so there's a whole process to kind of go through to kind of evaluate. Um, But again, um, probably the biggest outside of those kind of foundational elements is can I add value? And so if I can't add value to the company by helping them become more efficient, help them think about marketing in a different way, help them acquire better talent, then... Even if it's priced right, um, we shouldn't do the deal because I won't be able to help them out. And I shouldn't, you know, I don't, I try not to buy. I don't think I've ever done that so far. Try not to buy a company just because it was a good deal. Like if I can't add value, uh, it's probably not a good fit.
0: When going back to the key man thing, is that mostly like company owners or what could that? No, that's,
1: that's an addition to the company owner. And, and the way they do that is they get a bonus as well. So they don't say like, you get to keep your job if you sign this paper. No, it's like, you will get your existing salary and you'll get this additional incremental compensation if you sign this paper. So um, typically a key man gets uh, extra compensation in addition to what they already make.
0: Mm -hmm. Going back to what you were saying earlier for one of the things that you look for when um, recruiting if you just don't like a, a company's like attitude how do you decline them nicely do you say that's the reason or do you come up with like another yes reason? no Even don't com- beat
1: around the bush you talk about them the soft like skills you don't
0: like their attitude
1: yeah the the words or language that i tend to use is i like to invest in companies where our values are aligned and after spending time with the founders, I don't feel like our values are aligned. So while the numbers are interesting, this is not a good fit. Best wishes as you all look for an acquirer.
0: That's good. I wouldn't be too hurt if I heard that, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and to be fair, these are people who are trying to sell their business. It's like someone who's trying to sell their house. Uh, you have to be direct and yes, we should be nice to each other, but at the same time, Uh, there's no room to, to not be honest about the feedback. And so I just try to tell them straight up. So they know, Oh, it's not like, you know, I'm not playing a game because I actually think the price is too high and I'm just trying to get them to bring the price down. It's like, no, this isn't going to work and we don't have to waste each other's time.
0: Yeah. That's, that's good. I guess. Are you reaching out to companies or do you wait until they come to you for recruiting? So,
1: Yeah, I have done what's called uh, outbound deal flow where I leverage my network to find deals. Um, You know, this is also part of that being curious. So I go to all sorts of, you know, conferences. I'll go to local meetups. Uh, I'm just kind of watching Twitter and the news. Um, Excuse me. You know, if I see an interesting business that just opened, even if I can't, you know, they're not for sale. I might still go drive over there and introduce myself because they won't be for sale the first 90 days they open, but in two years they might be for sale or they might need some capital. And so that's what I've been doing. And what I'm uh, starting to transition into is creating more content online and building a larger presence online so people are aware of what I'm up to and they can come to me. So longer term, I want more inbound, but right now it's largely an outbound uh, process.
0: When did you start? um so
1: i started uh, investing this is going to be a very long time ago now um in 2011 as a uh, as an angel investor and a real estate investor and then over the years that um you know continued to evolve and i started to um do project-based investing um, i've invested in feature films and uh, other you know project bases like when you know there's a time bound a, a really small time-bound kind of group to uh, a project Um, and then i've done just under uh, 30 angel deals so these are startups that i've invested in and so um, since that time i've just kind of continued to kind of evolve Um, in uh, december of last year i quit my corporate job and i started investing full-time and so i've been about six months um, into uh, this latest phase where that's all i do and uh, it's fascinating because you know In the last three years, I've been actively kind of doing this job on the side, but the deal flow has just been exploded, you know, uh, since I've, I've, I've gone in full time because, you know, I have the opportunity to take more calls, to meet more people, to get out and find things that wouldn't have naturally surfaced, you know, when I had a day job.
0: Yeah, well, it also helps that you just go and talk to strangers too. So
1: high five. Well, and you know, you know, side part. um, I'm going to take your advice. You know, be careful out there, everyone, because you know people are are wonky. Um, But also, for me, and I don't know if other folks have to think about this as well, but you really have to embrace rejection. Like you, like you just have to. You know, there's a saying that says um, the you know if you double your failure rate, you'll double your success rate. Just because like you'll have more chances to to win, and so if you talk to someone or you 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 reach out to some people um, and they ghost you or they're like you're weird you're whack get out of here like whatever it is you just really have to like for me at least kind of like let that roll off your 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 you know kind of your shoulder and just say like I'm gonna go to the next one mm-hmm. and the more you go inward, I find that business owners can sometimes be really good at making their product but if they don't invest in building those relationships in potential customers and potential partners they they don't they don't find traction and they're like why is my business not working i'm like so good at this craft or this function or this discipline and it's like no you need the humans like the other people need to know that you're valuable and yeah. so that's just just a muscle that we have to exercise
0: yeah i think that's one of the things i need to work on as um especially cuz i'm trying to like grow my podcast obviously I like reach out to people, and I'm just so scared of like reaching out, and then they're like, no. And I know like the worst thing they're gonna say is like, no, they just don't want to come on, which is like fine, but it's just it's scary. So
1: yeah, yeah, you're in it though. Look at like we're we're having a great conversation, and it's like you know when I hear somebody saying, "Hey, Lashawn, I want to make five million dollars in free cash flow," and free cash flow is the metric I use for most of my businesses. So if somebody says, "Hey, we made two million dollars last year." I don't really care about that number. I care about how much did you keep. Um, so I care about the profitability and FCF or free cash flow is a, is a common metric that helps you understand after you pay all your bills. You know, you also hear people say some uh, words or acronyms like EBITDA, um, and uh, and so any of these types of profitability metrics are going to help you figure out how much you have left over, and that's what I really care about. And so if somebody says, I want to generate you know two million dollars in free cash flow a year. Like, LaShawn, can you help me? Um, it depends on where they're at. But the first thing I want to know is like, have you made your first dollar? Right? And not like, yo, know, your first thousand, like legit has a stranger that you don't know, you know, with Stripe or whatever you're using, sent at least $1 into your bank account. And that's like the first step. And as soon as you get that, you're like, okay, I can make $1. Now can I make $10 or $100? And then you know, now can I make $1,000? And that iterative approach if you can move quickly, I find that's where people unlock value versus like, I I have like this really big number. And then you're trying to unpack that number. You're like, oh, crap, I'd have to make, you know, $80,000 a week to go hit, like, it it just feels like it's, it's insurmountable. And then if you do that compounding method, um, where you go from little to a little more to a little more, and you're compounding every day, every week, every month, you will not only get to those bigger numbers, but when you get to those bigger numbers, your compounding won't stop. And now you become unstoppable. And part of the reason I named my company Kager Investments is because of the finance term. So Kager stands for compound annual growth rate, and it's measuring the geometric progression of how something grows over a period of time. And so you might hear someone saying like, "Oh, social media it has a CAGR of twenty percent." That means you know the the industry is growing at you know twenty percent a year. The power of compounding is the same way of you putting money into your savings account or you know however you invest. Um, the interest, if you reinvest that, it also compounds, right? And so you get an exponential instead of a linear curve. And the reason I really like that label is. I don't think we just should be compounding our money. We should also be compounding our personal development. Like we should be iterating, you know, every day, every week, every month to become better people. And if we take that approach, like there's no stopping what our potential is. Uh, We just have to start small and stick to it.
0: Yeah. Was it hard for you to take that step into quitting your corporate job to come into this full time? Did you have any like um, nervousness, but nervousness isn't the correct word.
1: Yeah, there there could be trepidation, there could be hesitation, there could be all sorts of of doubt that gets seeded. So this is the third time I've quit my, you know, kind of good job, as they say, um, to go start something. The first time it failed horribly. Right. And I just had to run back and get a job. The second time uh, I started a business and I was able to sell it pretty quickly. And the money I made from that is, even to this day, the money that set me up to even be able to be in a situation where I can't invest my own money into other companies. And so when I quit to go start that second business, that was super scary. Because at the time I worked at uh, at Microsoft, um, at Microsoft they have a term called a boomerang because so many people quit the company and then come back at a later date. So, so I worked there twice. And so the first time I worked there... Um, I was quitting to go start my business. And they have, as we talked about, these RSUs. And so these are stock grants that you've been given. And this is money that if you stay there at a certain point, one year, two year, three year, you'll get that money in stock. They tax you for it, but once you get it, you just get the whole stock. And now you just hold company that company stock. You can sell it for another stock. You can sell it for cash. You can hold on to it and let it appreciate all sorts of things you can do. And so I had... Uh, about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in unvested stock, so that meant when I quit, I was going to lose all of it, like all of it. And I was so, I was just so nervous that I was like, I'm walking away from like this this sure thing, right? Like I could go buy an investment property, or I, I could do all sorts of things with that money, right? And I was thinking, and coming from a scarcity mindset, that was like that two hundred and fifty, even though it's a near sure thing, like that's all I could get. And when I actually left and started that business, uh, just a few minutes, a few months into that business, we had already uh, generated uh, three quarters of a million dollars and and far above the quarter million dollars in profit. Right. And so it was like I was like so terrified about this thing and it could have gone the other way. Right. So it wasn't like, you know, you know, everything worked out perfect because I planned it. There's so many things about fortune and privilege, other things that we have to acknowledge on how we get to our next step, had a great support team and, and kind of mentorship, you know, structure. So all those things worked in my favor. But it was I was so terrified, you know, like sending that resignation letter to my manager. But over the years since then, um, for this last time, there is no hesitation. Like I knew, like this is it. This is the right time. I'm going to go do this. If I don't succeed, I'm going to learn so much that it's still going to be worth the, the the journey, and I will have an experience that no one can, you know, get by just you know reading a book or taking a class. And so for me, I look at it as I can't lose. Um, I may not hit the financial target, but I can't lose because I, you know, I'm going in with the the right right mindset, and so far. Uh, You know, I'm learning a ton, I'm staying curious, and I'm making money, right? And so like, it's all working out. And so sometimes we just have to believe in ourselves.
0: What does succeeding look like to you with this um, business?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's, you know, as I talk about iterating to these different places, um, the first financial milestone is I want to get to $3 million in annual free cash flow. And that allows me to invest in more businesses. Um, you know, I don't have you know, like a crazy ambitious, like, I'm going to make a billion dollars. Like, I think everything needs math. You need to show how you're going to get to numbers. And and that's my kind of first big milestone. But more importantly, um, what I get most excited about are the people where, you know, I talked about my people. When I find someone where the energy is right, and I'm like, man, I want to help this person make fewer mistakes than I did. Even if I never invest in them with money, I will invest in them with time. And one of the things I enjoy most is finding someone who I just see the potential. And if they have the right drive and the right resilience, and they're like, "I'm going to go do this. I'm going to stick to it," because that consistency matters. Um, just having the time and the opportunities to to help contribute to their journey—that's the most rewarding part. And you know, I've made enough money at this stage where, where um, like, what would, would I like to, you know, you know, make a hundred million dollars? Like, sure, I think that's doable. I do not think in my current plan billion dollars is 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 uh, is in my future, but that would be nice, but it's not going to change my lifestyle that much, right? I have a very nice house, I have a very you know, I, have a, I have an amazing, you know, lifestyle. I get to eat anywhere I want to go, I get to travel wherever I want to go. Like my life is amazing. And so it's more about protecting my time and not hanging out with people I don't like and then helping other people get to my stage way earlier in their journey.
0: Mm-hmm. I do not have the luxury that you have. I'm um, paycheck to paycheck over here, but good for you. That's, that's
1: the grind. No, no, no. But that's th- th- what we're just talking about is the piece. It's like, number one, do you want to, you know, be financially independent? If so, are you going to do that? And it's really only two ways. And this is unfortunate, but this is, you know, where we found ourselves in capitalism. You can either become a high income earner. Or you can start a business. So those are really your only two levers. Anyone who you know like the um, the lean fire and all these things, where you're gonna like you know cut all your expenses and eat ramen noodles every day and like you know like like avoid all social norms and like you know like it's just not practical. It's like a diet that works for you know a few weeks and then you're gonna cheat and then you're not gonna be able to stick to it. And so I look at it as you know you have to figure out first: do you want financial independence? Two, do you want to find that path as a high income earner or a business um, owner? And then three, are you going to do what it takes to stay liquid and not have bad behavior? Because you can make a ton of money and still spend it all, right? Just because you're, you're going out, you're buying clothes, you're taking vacations, you shouldn't. Like there's all sorts of ways to still kind of break the model. And so I think that's the decision people have to make. And if they don't make that, it's okay right i just when someone says you know what i don't like is when someone says oh it must be nice you know someone has said you oh, know it must be nice like <laughs> most of us have the option yeah. and if you don't choose the option that's okay but just you know stop and remind yourself like like it's an option
0: mm-hmm. yeah what would you say is your favorite part about your job
1: um i think number 1 is you know as i said helping people and it sounds silly right because um like I do a fair amount of coaching. There are people who have coaching businesses. I don't pay for coaching. Like the reason I do it for free is because I get energy out of it. And when I talk to people, they tell me all sorts of things about problems in their life. And I'm like, is that a business? Like, like could I invest in a business to help them solve this problem, right? And so, um, you know, let's say, I like to talk to, to people kind of age 18 to kind of mid to late 20s. That's like the sweet spot where I find... People have the most potential for velocity and they're just not tapping into it. And so I think you have a great audience and you're, you know, kind of the focus of your show is is pretty interesting because when people get older, sometimes they have responsibilities they can't undo, right? Um, you know, they have, you know, commitments with family or caregiving or, you know, all sorts of things. Sometimes they have financial commitments, you know, they have a ton of student debt or like whatever the thing is. And it's it's harder and harder to undo those things. So the earlier in the process that someone can get the toolkit to help them succeed the the i think the more ba- the more powerful and the mo- the more i can be of use in their life and so i really get energized by that the second piece is i just love the the variety you know we started this conversation on kind of the the buffet of life what i try to remind people is if you want the most stable and secure career path um you know go do the work to go figure out what makes sense for your personality that gives you that and then go do that If you want, you know, I don't think people should chase status or prestige. I think those are silly things. Uh, It lets, you know, it lets other people be in control of your self-worth and all the, like, it just seems crazy to me. But if if that's your thing, then, okay, whatever, you know, chase that path. For me, it's all about freedom. And I don't want someone to tell me where I need to be at nine o'clock tomorrow. I don't want somebody to tell me what I have to put on. Um, you know, this is a T-shirt I made that says, uh, did you smile today? Um, I like to just, you know, wear, you know, I, I dress dress down almost everywhere I go. I do not own a tie. I don't like, I just, you know, I'm just me, right? And so I'm not saying that other people should follow my path. I'm saying we should remind ourselves that we can be free. And so the idea that I get to create a job that keeps me free is is really empowering and that that really energizes me
0: what's your least favorite part of your job
1: um there's administrative stuff that i don't like uh, i'm really bad at like really bad at paperwork Like uh, I have, you know, bills that can't be fully automated and then they show up at my house and I forget to hand them to my assistant and like then they don't get, don't pay them for a month. And like, I don't know why I'm so bad at paperwork, like really, really bad. Like I cannot underscore more how like how bad I am. And so I don't like it. I am not trying to get good at it. And I just try to create systems to let someone else do that for me. So so that's number one. Um, And then number two is. I don't mind, as they say, kissing frogs, like just getting out there and just meeting, you know, taking a meeting to kind of see if there's an opportunity. Um, and for the most part, I always look for something positive, even if there's not going to be a deal or, you know, it's clearly not a fit. I try to say, well, what what can I learn from this interaction? Uh, but sometimes they're just people who there's not good people. And you're just like I like it's not even like I I feel like I wasted that meeting. I'm just like, I'm not going to do a deal, but are they going to convince somebody else? to Like, I want to like go on the internet and be like, stay away from this person. They're, yeah, they're bad people. Um, Because, you know, sometimes in a single meeting, you can tell like someone's hustling someone or their numbers aren't accurate or they haven't really built what they said they built. And so I don't like that feeling I get when I run across someone that I feel is a bad actor, um, but I don't necessarily feel like I have any control on how to kind of stop them from potentially taking advantage of other people.
0: Yeah. I think it's good that you like care about people. I feel like in a lot of jobs, people don't care about other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't been in like the corporate world very long. And I feel like the people that I do trust actually care about me back, which is nice. But I also hear stories of people who just will do anything to get ahead of other people. So I think it's really good how you're not one of those people.
1: Yeah, and I would say two things to that. Um, Number one it doesn't matter if you are doing you know if you're behaving like me from a good place or a bad place like i try to remind people of that <clears throat> even if you're selfish i would argue you should still behave the way i behave and that is take a long-term review a long-term multi multi-year um you know view of relationships and if you try to take everything you can out of a relationship you're know, like you, know, you meet somebody and you're they're only going to be in your life for a year or two years and you try to like burn them out and go to the next person it's just a horrible way to live. If you're like, Hey, if, if I need to, you know, this person needs to transition out of my life because in this particular season, like they're, they're no longer, you know, kind of connected or aligned. There's just, you know, there's 8 billion people. And like, I just feel like there's no reason to be malicious to somebody because I haven't met almost everybody in the world. <laughs> and so it's just like, you know, off you go. And then I just go meet somebody else. Right. And so um, that's thing. Number one thing. Number two is Uh, I think the more that we look at this as a game with friends, like that's how I look at, you know, work. That's how I largely look at life. It's just a game with friends. And if you are playing this game, there's rules. If you look at it as a game, you're not going to be let down when you... You know, you might be disappointed, but you're not going to be, you know, broken when you don't, when it doesn't work out exactly the way you want. And you understand that you're in control of some things, not in control of other things. And so those are all pieces that to me are very important. But the other half of that, it's, it's a game with friends. If you're going through the journey of life, I believe there's kind of three things that you're going to get at the end of it. You're going to have moments, you're going to have relationships, and then you're going to have some set of, you know, uh, you know value that you created with other people and if you if you look back and someone says well i want to have a huge impact on the world and i want to you know i'm an advocate for climate change or i want to you know uh you know tackle some type of uh you know equality whether it's you know gendered or racial or what have you those are ways for people to find that as they call it transformative purpose that thing that really like gets them out of the bed but if somebody says i want to run a landscaping business and You know, I want to coach my kid's softball team. I don't look at those two people as like, oh, they're they're squandering their potential. They could have done so much more. I just look at it as we all get to choose the game that we play and just pick your game with intention and then play it with people that you care about. And Mm -hmm. if you do that, no matter what path you take, life is going to be, you know, when you get to the end of it, you're gonna be like, my life was amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. But I feel like sometimes you don't get to choose those people. So you might not
1: No, we do. Tell me tell me somebody in your life you feel like um even if it's a family member, you're just like, oh no, I got this relative. I don't know, but but friend or a coworker, like tell me somebody or are you like, I didn't get to choose this person, they're negative, I don't like their energy, they're screwing up my life.
0: Yeah, I could I'm not gonna say their name.
1: Well, okay. Well, give me a, describe the person or give me their persona. Like, like, yeah, you don't have to you know, it's put it just on black. A, a,
0: a coworker.
1: Okay. So you got a coworker. You're like, they're not it. Yeah. What do you feel that you're in control of and you're not in control of?
0: Well, like I can ignore them at work. Ignore is like Mm -hmm. a big word, but like I don't have to choose to talk to them at work or like invite them to sit with me at lunch and things like that. But they're still like around me. They're still talking to the people I talk to and asking me questions and things like that. Yeah. So I can't like, they're still in my life.
1: And so why give them any energy? So, so I get that there's sometimes like there's physically something that like makes you feel like I don't want to be next to this person, but why give them any energy? Let's say they're sitting next to you and you're just like, oh, I can't stand this person. Why, why give them any of your energy?
0: Because I'm trying to like be a good employee and a good worker. And if they need to ask me a question, then I'm not going to just be straight up like, no, because then that also makes me look bad. Like I'm not doing my job.
1: Yeah. So there's a balance there. I I would say, you know, more broadly, I've worked with people that I'm like, these are, I won't say they weren't good people, but, you know, people who were not my people. And I just like to keep coming back to the stoic principles of focus what you can control, ignore what you can't. And it doesn't mean like the current season isn't going to be sucky, but it's just, it's not emotionally draining because you know, this person won't matter. Um, And I've met plenty of people that I've worked with that right now I couldn't tell you their names. Like I could not recall. I could probably remember their face, but because I didn't enjoy working with, I could not tell you their name. They don't matter. Um, And at least in my, my universe. And so that's the way I look at it is um, these things are seasons and we are in control.
0: Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Cause that would probably help me just be like less irritated with them too. When I do that, because
1: everybody's going to irritate you or not everybody, but you're going to consistently meet people that will irritate you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice.
1: Well, um, it's something I had to I had to learn as well.
0: Yeah. My last question would be, what advice do you have someone looking to start their own investment firm?
1: So I think contrary to popular belief, you don't have to have millions and millions of dollars to start investing in companies. The same way you buy a stock or the same way you can buy a house, you can buy a business. And if you look at how you buy, uh, you know, a piece of real estate, you can, you know, go buy in a really expensive place all cash with no financing. You can wholesale a property. You can, you know, finance a property where you put some money down. You can do owner financing where the owner of the building helps you pay for it. Almost all of the ways you can think about buying a piece of real estate, you can apply to how you buy a business. And so, what I tell folks is, go figure out how the mechanics of a deal works with small sums of money to see if it's for you. And so, for instance, there's a website called uh, Acquire.com and they sell expensive businesses, seven, eight figures, but they also have businesses on there for like $500. And most of these, you know, like what are you going to get from a $500 business? Not much, right? Like like maybe you'll double your money. Maybe it'll go to zero. Most likely it will go to zero, (laughs) right? But you'll learn what it takes to talk to a stranger, to negotiate a deal, to like do all these things that again, you're not gonna learn from uh, simply reading a book or taking a class or watching a YouTube video. And so sometimes you just need to get that real experience. And if you are thinking about investing in private equity, where, you know, again, you're not buying in public, you're not buying public stocks. Those are like hedge funds and, and traders and those types of people who do that you're not looking at managed real estate, you know, commercial real estate, multifamily offices, uh, retail and what have you. If you're like, I want to buy private businesses, then really you just have to go learn where you're going to focus. And the less interesting, sometimes the less sexy the business is, many times the more cash you can make. And that's why I really love uh, businesses that serve other businesses. You know, I don't own any direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands or anything like that because they're very fickle. When they work, the person's a star, they're driving around in Ferrari. When they don't work, like no one wants to talk about all the money they lost. And so um, I'm not saying don't do those types of businesses. I'm saying be intentional with what your your plan is. And I think, you know, the theme for this whole conversation really is, you are in control. I think life is a choose your own adventure path. And so whether you want to do it small, or you want to do it big, whether you want to work inside of an institution, or you want to go on your own path, whether you want to use your own resources, or go and raise capital and resources from other people, however, you want to combine the the, the puzzle of your own life, like you are in control. And if you're intentional with that, then you will get to a starting point where you're set up for success. And then from there, it's what we talked about earlier. You just have to iterate and compound day over day. And the folks who have an intentional playbook and they are consistent in their execution, those are the folks who are winning. You know, Last thing I would say is it took me a long time to acknowledge that the smart people don't win. And I consider myself a smart person. And so like I didn't want to believe that. Now, it doesn't mean you can't also be smart, but Courage and consistency trumps intellect. And it's really hard for smart people to believe that because a lot of the smart people I meet are very risk adverse. They're they're security seekers. They want stability. And their intelligence sometimes stops them from doing things because they're like, oh, well, this could go wrong. And this other thing could happen. And it's like all these things are stopping them. And then some knucklehead who has no sense is like making all this money. Um, And the point is, courage and curiosity trumps intellect. And if you have all three, then you can be unstoppable.
0: Um, I want to switch gears. I like to do trivia at the end of interviews. I just have investment trivia, like, like, just like investment terms. Yeah. I don't really know if we're just going to see what
1: happens. Yeah, let's try it out.
0: I guess I could ask you this. Do you have anything you want to say? that I didn't ask you about that you just want people to know?
1: No, I think we touched on a number of topics. Again, the theme is choose your own adventure. And for anybody who's listening, I just want folks to remind themselves that they have more options than they believe. You know, um, there is this, this concept of uh, over choice. And over choice means you can sometimes have so many choices that you have anxiety like so many things I could eat tonight, so many you know things I could wear, so many people I could hang out with. And and like the the number of choices creates stress. And then for people on the other side of the spectrum where they feel like they have no choice, they don't have overchoice problem. They have hopelessness. They have no hope, right? And for all of us, regardless of where you might sit on that spectrum, the more we remind ourselves that um, we can build the muscle to make better decisions, If we're in the left side with the overchoice, we can reduce that anxiety and make decisions with confidence. If we're on the other side and we're like, well, there's nothing that's possible for me. And, you know, there's all these reasons why, you know, there's no option for me. If you really lean into curiosity and kind of check yourself, you realize there are more options than you may have considered. And so we all have a way to kind of get to that middle. Um, We just have to do the self-work.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely on the more anxious side and I'm working on it though.
1: Yeah, that's dope.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right, trivia. Let's get into it. Yeah. This is just off Quizlet. So it's probably like very basic terms, but- Hey,
1: you might get me. You know, they say in baseball, you only have to hit um, bat 300, three out of 10 to go to the home uh, the Hall of Fame. So let's see if I can break that.
0: I'm trying to look for ones that I don't know, just to make it like hard. Um. Okay. Limit order.
1: Oh, we're talking about stocks. All right. So when you're trading a stock, what that means, a limit order is um, you can buy this stock, but you're going to cap the price. So let's say you want to sell me a um, share, a stock in your company for one hundred dollars, but I want to buy it as a deal and it drops all the way to seventy dollars. I might say, keep buying this, um, but don't pay over eighty dollars. And that gives me the uh, a, a tool to um, limit um, the the price on a piece of stock because a lot of times these are more you know suggestions uh, versus what the actual stock price is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It says request to buy or sell stock at a specific price. That's we'll do three questions. So yeah, uh, one. Right. one out of three. Debenture bond
1: debenture bond yes i don't know what that is all right so bonds in general are debt but i don't know what a debenture bond is let educate me
0: you have to take a guess
1: uh debenture bond i don't even know what the word debenture is is it d-e-b how do you spell it
0: yeah d-e-b-e-n-t-u-r-e
1: debenture bond i would think it's some type of Debt security that is um, maybe secured with another type of debt or um, debenture. Yeah, I'm gonna say it, it's obvious some type of of, of debt instrument, but uh, I don't know the words. So, so, so we're we're one out of uh, out of two so far. What's the definition?
0: I'm I'm kind of like happy that I was able to like get high you- five. I also like I do feel bad a little bit. But no, if-
1: no, no. It's the game. But, but educate me, though. See, this is back to the point. Now I want to be curious. Yeah.
0: So it says a bond backed only by the reputation of a company.
1: Ah, OK. Is there so another- it, so, yeah, you know, yeah, so that's uh, also called an unsecured bond. Mm. Um, so if you ever heard folks talk about the S&P 500 um, or other types of um, companies, uh, the S&P um, What they started at, Standard & Poor's, they actually started as a firm that would rank, uh, they're like the credit report for businesses. So the same way you might have a FICO score for your personal um, life, there are companies like Moody's and S&P that have a, um, they do a ranking of, of companies and that ranking allows them to go and raise debt. Now, if... I have a bunch of real estate, let's say um, I'm McDonald's and I have a bunch of, or let's say a better example is Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A owns all of their locations. And so let's say Chick-fil-A wants to get a loan to open up more stores. And they would, um, they could do one path that says, well, we're gonna raise a hundred million dollars and we're going to secure it against our physical real estate. So if we don't pay you back, you get to take this real estate. So it's a very low risk loan. An unsecured loan says you can go look at this Moody's or S&P rating and then you can see our credit score. But if you give us this loan, um, there's nothing to secure it against. And so if we don't pay you back, you're just out of the money. Right. And so that's a a fairly common thing for more established businesses to do unsecured loans. Um, And and uh, a loan is typically what a bond is. A bond is a term piece of of debt. And so this new word I've learned today, debenture, is a sounds like a type of unsecured loan.
0: Okay, There you go. So you kind of you knew what it was. It's just multiple words to say it.
1: But we all got to get educated. I wasn't gonna call it a debenture bond. <laughs> That's what I gotta learn.
0: Um, last question. Front end load.
1: Uh, so we're we're sticking with the stocks, it sounds like. So um I don't know what a front end is, but usually a um a load, we're talking about um, is it is a stock or bond?
0: It doesn't say.
1: All I'll right, just do a
0: different one. We these are all, yeah. I don't know. It's named investment, but then I guess you're saying it's all stocks. What about bear market?
1: Um. So for the record, I want to say that the last one was a miss. So we are one in three. We don't get to cheat and move off of it. But but a bear market is, um, when a market is uh, not doing well. A bull market is when a market is doing well. And the way I like to think about it is the bull has the head down and it's charging forward like things are positive. And then the bear is like hands up, like and it's trying to scare you and like everything's stopping. So a bear market is when um, the market is going in a negative direction.
0: Yes. I feel like because the bull's head is down, that means it's bad. Like it's like,
1: oh, that's an interesting take. So, so, So let's brainstorm this before we wrap up. Um, what would you say is the bull's persona since the bull is uh is the good one? Cause I had like charge ahead, but like, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's a bad description.
0: Well, I don't know. Bulls are just usually like angry. So like I would mm. think that it's bad. Like-
1: oh, but maybe it's misunderstood. The misunderstood bull. This sounds like a Pixar movie. You know, it's <laughs> like it's like, you know, he's like a bull, he's like in the bull thing, and he's like, Yeah, yeah but I don't really want to chase after the people, I just want to hang out, you know, I like to eat grass. And so so maybe we gotta, you know, give give the bull their their opportunity to shine.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll start thinking thinking of it your way. I don't use these terms ever, but yeah. if I ever hear it, I'll remember it based off of what you said that it's going forward. And then the bear's like, oh man, because he's doing bad.
1: Okay. Um so we did four. So that was uh two out of four. So batting five hundred, I'll take it.
0: Okay. You're good with that score? Yes, yes. OK, we don't have to. I
1: learned because I also learned something new.
0: We don't have to count the third one because, you No, we got to count it. OK, I tried. Yeah. What do
1: we say? Double the failure rate, double the success rate.
0: This is true. Then good. You got 50 percent. Yeah, good. I'm winning. Well, thank you for coming on my podcast. I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot.
1: It's great. I love your energy and uh, excited to see your show continue to grow.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Young or Dumb. I hope you enjoyed the subject and learned something new. Make sure to follow my podcast for more interesting conversations. And remember, be happy and be chill.